And we started with the first word, one of the best words. Actually, we're going to say it's the best word. We started off with the great yes that is our God for us. And we actually dug down deep into this um, sort of like people know that this verse is out there, but it was the first time I actually ever really dug down deep into the every promise is yes in Jesus Christ and our response is amen. And that verse is telling us from Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, saying that all of the promises are yes in Jesus Christ. And as absurd as that might sound, the reason we know that this is true is because all of the promises were always pointing to Jesus. And that the Bible doesn't promise, you know, every wish and whim and desire of your heart when you go your own way will be delivered unto you. The Bible promises us when we want God and we want life and we want Jesus Christ, when we want the Spirit, when we want more of Him, that all of this is yes, because it's all pointing to culminating in Jesus Christ, His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, His coming again. This is all yes in Jesus Christ. So that's God's yes to us. So as opposed to how maybe some of us were raised or came to believe that our God is kind of like the no God, kind of the cosmic killjoy God we talked about that, oh, you know, God doesn't want you to have any fun and all the laws and the rules are to keep you from a good time, that our, our God is actually the yes God. He is for us. He is not against us. He is with us always. Yes. And our response, the interesting thing about it is our response then becomes the affirmation, amen, or verily, verily, or truly. And so we went down deep into my saying, of course, I really want us to be a yes and amen church. We want to proclaim the yeses of God through Jesus Christ to us. And our response should be <laughs> you were like planning that all week long. <laughs> Waiting for the offer. Oh my goodness, I love that so much. Verily, yes, we are, we are, we're going old school here at Connections now. We are a verily, verily, an amen, an amen church. And before we move any deeper then, let's kind of, let, let's just, let's just let's practice the yes that we have, all right? Let's just practice our yes a little bit. Whenever we recognize that we are offered the gift of salvation and life in Jesus Christ, our response is? All right, whenever we hear Jesus calling to us because he believes in us, because he believes that he can make us fishers of men and women like the first disciples, our response is? Whenever we recognize then that we are fully equipped by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission and that we can actually go and make disciples and teach them everything that Jesus has commanded us and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with the promise that He is with us always, we respond all right, we're getting it. Whenever you get invited into a connection group, and you have the opportunity to invest in others and have others invest in you as Jesus invested in others and had others invest in him. And they did life together, not because we think it's some new and innovative program that we came up with, but because Jesus was modeling this from the very beginning that we would be named and numbered and be doing life together. When you get invited to a connection group, you're going to say... 
Yes, that's right. Whenever you are invited by Mayetta to practice hospitality and welcome guests from our community, you are going to say, okay, okay. Whenever my wife Robin recruits you to be the hands and the feet for our precious children, think of the children, people. Think of the children. When you get invited to serve the children of our church, you are going to say, Oh, right. Whenever your pastor invites you to participate in the Severe Weather Shelter Network, because Jesus tells us that we will offer a cup of water in his name, when we surrender our garments even to clothe the naked, our food to feed the hungry, shelter for those who are living on the streets, what's our response going to be, friends? Yes. Maybe you can be there in person, maybe you can give, maybe you can pray, but we can all say yes and amen to all of these things. Whenever your spouse leans over to you on a Sunday morning and says, you know what, God's presence is everywhere, we should probably just skip church today, your response is going to be, no. oh, I get you were paying attention, awesome, I was wanting to see if people were just so, just going in the rhythm. No, this is our transition. We are going to move from the yeses of God, and now we need to move into the knows because for every yes there is a no it's kind of the flip side in fact when we pause to think about this the recognition is that to say yes often means maybe a thousand no's right to say yes to god can mean a thousand and more no's the rest of our lives just like whenever i had my moment i told the story of my longing for yes from robin the story of my asking her to marry me there was never a time when i wanted the yes more than that and eventually i got it it was a bit of a process but it came to me but but whenever she said yes to me that of course that meant that she said no to dozens maybe hundreds of other men, especially Larry. I'll tell you the Larry story another day. She, to say yes to me was to say no to every other possibility. And on my part, my saying yes to Robin was to say no to every other woman in the world. And, and the reality is that our yeses can mean a thousand no's. And those no's can get rather difficult, right? But the Bible is full of some incredible knows. I mean, the Bible story is a story of people saying yes to God, and people who have said yes to God saying no to everything and everybody else. There was this man named Joseph, and he said yes to God. But that yes didn't mean his life was going to be simple and easy and, you know, just, just cupcakes and sprinkles the rest of his days. He entered into some hard times, and he entered into this situation where he kind of was in Thrown, you know, betrayed by his family and thrown into a pit and sold into slavery and working away in Potiphar's house. And he kind of, he's honoring God and he's kind of rising up the ranks there. And Potiphar's wife gives him an opportunity. And it's her. And, and, and you would think that if ever there's a reason for somebody to rationalize indulging something that is offered to them, somebody who is offered to them and saying, I deserve this for everything that I've gone through. But he said no. And was he blessed? N no, actually that no led to more suffering in his life. It's not too inspiring yet, is it? But we're, we'll get there. We'll get there. I mean, he said no, and it was a hard no, and it actually led to a very difficult season 
in his life. Another man named Nehemiah. I almost did the whole message on Nehemiah because Nehemiah has an incredible series of no's in his life. He looks to Jerusalem, the city. He sees it's in disrepair. He, he knows. He has this sense of so much fulfillment and prophecy and things coming to a culmination in Jerusalem. And God gives him this heart to build the walls and to restore the city. And he gets the resources. He's there. And then this thing happens. And these people that are against the rebuilding of Jerusalem, they're trying to distract him. But he sees kind of through their plot. And, and these are like influencers. I mean, these are the officials. These are people with clout. And they're like, Nehemiah, come down. And he keeps sending this response. And this could be like a response that you could give when you have your identity and your mission clear. He, he just says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I mean, just look that up in Nehemiah. I mean, that's maybe a great focusing verse for some of us. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. He knew he needed to say no. Uh, uh, the story of, of Daniel is this incredible story of no's. It starts off with he and his friends, and they, they're carried off in captivity to Babylon, and they're invited. I mean, you just got to think about this for a moment. The, they think their life is over, and then they're given this opportunity to eat at the king's table. And there's a sense where we, we would think about that, especially in context of, oh my goodness, the door has been opened. They thought they were dead. They're going to live now. This king has been benevolent to them. But they see through the plot, and they refuse to eat from the king's table. No. And God actually richly blessed them. When they try and take it a little bit further, and they say, you must bow down and worship the king, they say no. Even if it means you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God can save us. We don't know if he will, but he can. But either way, the answer is no. And God blessed that no and said yes to them. And they actually lived through it. I love how the story of Daniel is actually kind of bracketed, kind of, kind of bookended by these no's. At the very end, toward the end of Daniel's life, there's this plot to overthrow him. And they kind of work it out that he has to say no to God and, and, and praying, but he, he refuses. He says no to the edict. And he goes and he prays. And it gets him thrown into a lion's pit. But God blesses his no. The, the Bible is full of some incredible no stories. So we are going to need to learn no. No is, here, here, here's the thing. No for us is going to become a scalpel. It's going to become this tool to help us focus on our identity and on our mission. Whenever we know who we are in Christ, and we know to where, to whom, how God calls us, no becomes our scalpel to eliminate all of the distractions, all of the things that would pull us away, all of the things that would divide our attention so that we can commit fully to Jesus Christ and his work being done in and through our lives. No is the scalpel to keep our identity in Christ and our mission on focus. We see this modeled for us in Jesus, and we're going to turn now to him. Jesus begins his ministry with an incredible yes to God, of course. And that yes is demonstrated in his baptism. He goes to be baptized by his cousin John. John at first gives like a no, like, wait, shouldn't this be reversed? And Jesus says, no, this is how it's going to happen. I'm saying yes to my father. And Jesus' identity is confirmed in this. This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Of all the things God could have said, 
in that moment. He simply affirms the identity of his son, Jesus Christ, and his love for him. This is my son whom I love. So friends, the foundation for us is our identity in Christ. Because in Christ we are his brothers. In Christ we are his sisters. In Christ we know that we become the children of God. In Christ we hear the words from the Father to us, you are my beloved and then Jesus is going to launch out into his ministry, and it's very clear-cut from there forward. It is the kingdom of his God is at hand. Repent and believe this good news, and he's on this mission to fulfill his calling. And interestingly, immediately on the other side of this yes, then, Jesus enters into this incredible no moment. And the no for Jesus is his tempting or his testing in the desert. Jesus is going to say no for 40 days to food. He's going to say no to getting kind of what we would think of as getting on with this mission. He's kind of taking this Sabbath rest. We're going to talk about fasting and Sabbath and these great no's and how they open up the door for more yeses from God for us. And they're going to culminate in three very specific no's. I'm going to preach mostly on the setup, and then we're going to like right at the end, like dive right into the uh, application of these three knows. But, but Jesus, after his great yes to God, having his identity affirmed, getting his mission clear, enters into this no season. So I'm going to read the passage here for us. Um, this is one of my, I say this all the time, this is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. Okay, I said it, I say it every Sunday. But really, I, I've actually preached three messages on this a while ago. Um, someday I'll do it again. There, there's so much in here. We're going to kind of go immediately, though, to the application of these no's for our lives. So if you know the story, we're going to skip over a lot of the details and kind of get right to the heart of it. Matthew chapter 4, starting in 1. Then Jesus, after his great yes to God, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I would think so. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. I think there is a dynamic that happens in many lives of many Christ followers. And it is that the moment we get our life centered on Jesus Christ, or we make that affirmation, that confession, that public profession, perhaps, of going all in with Jesus Christ and wanting to go all out in mission for him, it is then that temptation and testing comes. It's kind of that we aren't really on the evil one's radar until we get clear on who we are in Christ and what we want to do in the name of Christ and by the power of his spirit. Then, all of a sudden, we are a threat 
as we become agents and ambassadors, citizens of the kingdom moving forward in mission for Jesus Christ, that all of a sudden temptations come. And that is where it becomes so abundantly clear that we have to begin wielding no as the scalpel to keep our identity rooted in Christ and our lives focused on mission for him. And this is modeled for us so clearly in Jesus. And the way that we do this and there perhaps is a multitude of ways, but what is modeled so clearly for us in Jesus is that through fasting and Sabbath, we keep our identity and focus on Jesus Christ. Jesus said this about fasting um, shortly thereafter when he's teaching up on a mountaintop. He said, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus presumed fasting for his disciples and his followers. Jesus actually has a lot of presumptions about the life of the fully devoted Christ follower. He assumes we are going to gather and worship as he modeled for us. He assumes you're going to be in the word. He, he assumes you're going to be a people of prayer. He assumes that we are going to be his hands and feet and serve the poor and all people. He assumes, uh, presumes, much of his disciples, including the practice of fasting. Now, of course, Jesus was questioned on this during the course then of the next three years of his ministry. He and his disciples did not fast because the response was that you can't fast while you're in the presence of the king. But the season and the time and the practice of fasting will continue in his bodily absence until his return. And fasting becomes this tool to keep us focused on our identity in Jesus Christ and our mission through him. Now, um, fasting, we should say this. There is, let me address this first, and we'll break down what fasting is a little bit deeper. Because there's an interesting word in this, and then you will receive your reward. Fasting is not this means of cajoling or coercing God into hearing our prayers and doing our will. God knows all, God sees all, God is all. We're not revealing anything new to God. We don't want to enter into fasting, a practice of fasting, because we think that we are going to kind of, again, get the vending machine God on our side, insert the right prayer, insert the right fast, get what you want from God. No, the simple revelation that we have for us is that fasting is we get the reward that we all need the most. We get more of God. We, we get a deeper connection with God. And so we're invited into this means of saying for times and for seasons uh, that we are creatures of appetite. Incarnate creatures with appetites. And God knows these appetites. He's given us these appetites. And he affirms these appetites. But through the denial of some appetites for seasons, we can elevate what needs to be our greatest appetite and greatest desire, and that is for deeper connection and communion with Christ. And so by denying the appetites of our lives, we may receive more of that which our hearts desire most, and that is simply more of God. And so I would invite you, I would encourage you, as we go through November, and by the way, I will insert this now, I just love that the timing of our no 
sermon is the beginning of November, and so this is going to become your November encouragement here. No, what am I going to say no to so that I may say yes to more of God? We have many things, many means for creating a fast and for denying an appetite so that we might receive more of God. Uh, the most common practice, of course, is fasting from a food, and this can be done uh, in many different ways. And perhaps if you grew up in a church or a tradition that embraced Lent, a season of preparation for Easter, you're used to giving up things, right? Most people give up chocolate, or they'll give up all sweets, or they'll give up wine, or they'll give up meat, or they'll, they'll give up certain things during the season of, of Lent. We don't just have to wait for Lent. <laughs> This can become a season of, of fasting. Co uh, most common people will fast from food. Um, you can just pick a day of the week, maybe make your last meal, uh, for example, on a Tuesday night, and then break your fast on Wednesday night whenever you meet for your connection group. Hint, hint, that's something I practice very regularly to make fasting a normal part of the rhythm and routine of my life, not just something, say, for certain seasons of God, but to always be going back to saying, Jesus, my greatest appetite must be for you. And so with every time my, you know, my stomach growls and grumbles, that is my reminder to lean more into, pray for more of God to fill my life. So we can fast from food. And that can look like a lot of different ways. Maybe, again, it's sweets or a certain drink or a certain period of time. Let me just say this. If, if you want to know more about fasting and you don't know a lot about fasting, grab me this week. We'll grab a coffee. I'll talk to you about it. There's many different ways. You will be amazed at your body's capacity to go without. Yes, there are certain restrictions and health concerns, and we can talk about that. But I would simply commend to you Again, not just worship, not just being in a group, not just getting in your Bible, not just going to prayer, but practice what fasting might look like for you. Maybe it won't be food. Maybe what you'll need to do is you'll take a season of fasting from shopping. You know what I find? Whenever I shop, I find stuff that I want. <laughs> Whenever I don't shop, I don't see stuff that I want. I, 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 you know, so just say, you know, I know that if I go to the mall, I know that if I go to Amazon, I know that if I go into the store, I will see something sparkly, <laughs> and I will want it. So maybe you just fast from all shopping for some days or for a season, for a time in your life. Maybe you can fast from screens, from social media. Very often, one of the practices that I do in preparation for Easter is that week leading up to Easter, the Holy Week or the Passion Week, I seriously seek to only use my screens for what absolutely must be done for work, but for no entertainment, to take all of that time, all of those distractions, and to focus it on God. Do you know that they say that our phones, I was going to bring up my phone here for an illustration, the average person's phone dings or pings or is alerted more than 150 times a day now. And, and maybe that's like lowballing it for, for some young people. <laughs> but every time a message, a social media, an email, a post comes up, we are distracted and turn our attention to that screen. What if 150 times a day we instead turned our attention towards God? 
be a pretty remarkable. So I want to commend to you the practice of fasting. Jesus is able to get more of God by his season of fasting. The other thing that is around this 40 days of Jesus is this is in a sense an extended time of Sabbath. Jesus is not going out. He is not preaching. He is not teaching. He is not working miracles. He is not calling more people to follow him. He is doing essentially nothing. And that is what Sabbath invites us to do, to do nothing. Remember, the remarkable revelation of the Sabbath is that the only instruction is to stop working. Stop being a human doing and just be a human being in God and receive some rest from Him. Now, let me tell you a story. Um, see, see where I'm at here in my notes. Let me tell you a story of how Prayer and fasting provides the breakthrough so much. Um, let me say this first. So uh, on, on Sabbath, I listened to a, a study uh, on, on people and their busyness and their refusal to embrace seasons of rest and break in their lives and the incredible you know, health consequences of it. Um, this gift of Sabbath can bring so much joy and happiness into our lives. This one professor actually did this study and uh, wanted to get at what this kind of free time and a break could mean to, to, to her students' lives. And so she canceled class. She actually just kind of, kind of the night before, she canceled class. But then, you know, there's going to be a catch to it. Then whenever they came back to the next class, they had to write about their experience of having class canceled. And it is as if these students had experienced this euphoria, this bliss, this unbeknownst gift that came to them. They, they, they talked about, you know, and it didn't matter what they did. Some of them slept, some of them did schoolwork, some of them grabbed a coffee, some of them went to the gym and exercised. It didn't matter so much what they did. When they got this gift of time, all of a the sudden, <laughs> their lives seemed so full and so joyful so blissful. Anyway, so, so don't deny yourself that gift of Sabbath. So the work of God is done in these seasons of fasting and Sabbath so often for his people. And the very fact that we're here, I believe, is the evidence of the reward of fasting and Sabbath in the lives of people. I won't go all into the details, but it was not too long ago that I entered into a season of fasting and Sabbath from the work that I knew God was calling me to do here in Colorado. We had landed here as a family. We had a mission and a desire to move forward and to reach more people. And we were in this season where we felt like maybe we were kind of stuck and we need to learn what God is calling for us. And so I invited a group of people to a season of prayer and fasting and some Sabbath from a number of things. And I said, we're going to do this for the next season. We are going to keep doing exactly what we're doing and pray that God blesses it. Which, interestingly enough, is praying the definition of stupid, right? They say, they say the definition of stupid is doing the same thing and expecting different results. So I said, we're going to pray stupid. <laughs> we're going to pray to do the same thing and expect different results. But here's the catch. If we get different results, we know God is behind it. We will just have this assurance and this confidence that God is behind then what we're doing. And let's continue 
in that then in full earnest as we would move forward i said or because we're going to kind of do nothing to change things we're going to have a sabbath of trying to figure out a new innovation or a new program or a new whatever we're just going to take a sabbath from that and if god surprises us then again we will know god put this in our path and is calling us in a new direction the long and the short of that and we'll keep it on the short side is that several weeks into that i got a phone call and that phone call led to, a year later, this, Connections Church. Amen. Thank you, sister. Appreciate that one. When am I, so, here's, here's the rub. When am I going to learn? No, really. I'll just preach to myself for a moment. You can listen on if you want. When am I really going to learn that the work is done by God? I wanted a church so bad but it was God who just handed this facility to us. I wanted to reach people so bad, but it was God who time and again just delivers people into my life. Not that we shouldn't be going out and outreach, but honestly, the best people in my life, God has dropped in my lap with all the glory and the credit goes to him. When am I going to learn that, you know, I can want to renovate these facilities and make it move forward, but it is God who sends the hail, who leads to the damage, who leads to the new HVAC system getting done, a new roof getting put on, and every window being replaced in this building in the next coming weeks. Can I get an amen on that? When am I going to learn that it is God going forward, doing his work, that it is Jesus Christ who is head of the church, and that he will build his church. And sometimes, yes, we go, we talk, we invite, we share, we build, we program. Yes, 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 but oh my goodness, friends, the work is done by God, and we can get to that work through our fasting, and through our Sabbath, and through our trust in him. Say no. Say no. Learn to say no. So after all this happens, Jesus gets into three very specific no's in the text. And the devil tempts him to turn the, bread, the stones to bread, to throw himself off of the temple and have angels attend to him, and to show him then the kingdoms of the world and say, all these will be yours if you simply bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no, 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 using the scalpel of no, to not allow himself to be deflected from his identity and his father and his mission to bring the kingdom. And the interesting thing, the interesting thing is all of these are about to become yes by God. Yes, God will feed him. Yes, God will send angels to him. Yes, God will hand over to him the keys to the kingdom. These will all be yes, but not in the evil one, but through the will of the father. Henry Nouwen boils it down this way. And I come to this over and over again in my life for the past 30 years from a little book of his called In the Name of Jesus. Jesus is here saying no to three temptations. And it's the temptation to be relevant, the temptation to be spectacular, and the temptation to be powerful. He says the Christian life is this beautiful embrace of being irrelevant, <laughs> being unspectacular and humble, and being completely submissive and rejecting the powers of this world. Jesus invites us to a completely and wonderfully irrelevant life. My friends, worship is so irrelevant, isn't it? Gathering here, singing these 
phrases, lifting up these prayers, turning to this ancient book. Isn't worship irrelevant in the eyes of the world? But isn't it so wonderful in the eyes of our Father? <laughs> isn't turning to the Bible seems like such an irrelevant practice for so many people? And yet in this book, we find wisdom and the words of life to guide and to direct us. Don't the poor, don't the poor of this world, are they not the most irrelevant people in society? The most irrelevant, cast away, forgotten, glanced over, shoved to the corner, pushed into the alleys, people of the world. And yet, God calls us to the irrelevant practice of being his hands and feet and clothing them and feeding them and sheltering them and loving them. Oh, isn't the life of following Jesus so wonderfully irrelevant? <laughs> Jesus resisted the temptation to make his ministry all about being re relevant. And the interesting thing is that so often when he became relevant in people's lives, when he did feed them, when he did heal them, when he did set them free, oh, they wanted so much more of what he could do for them instead of wanting so much more simply of him. And so Jesus invites us to the wonderful practice of saying no to always needing to be relevant to everybody and to everything around us. Oh, embrace the joy of saying no to always needing to be relevant. The second thing that he did is that he said no to being spectacular. And I think for us, and I'll need to kind of power through some of these now, I think the no to us is said we, we, we need to just say no to this manicured, curated, perfect online presence that we are all trying to make everybody think that we're living this incredibly spectacular, spectacular life, right? <laughs> we all want our lives to seem so amazing. We just took the best vacation. I just had the best meal. Oh, I'm just wearing the best outfit. Oh, we just had the best part. Who cares? I guarantee you they don't. They're all too busy trying to curate their life to make it look like the best. Just embrace being unspectacular, <laughs> uninspiring, unawful. And allow Jesus. I mean, I mean, how does John, I mean, John put it this way. He must become greater. I must become less. I mean, that's it. G John just modeled for us. At the moment when he could have taken all the glory, he could have taken the name, he had more followers than Jesus at that time, and his followers were like, who are we going to go after? And that's when John says, it is so not about me. I am so unspectacular. He must become greater and I must become less. Oh, if we could only have that in each one of our hearts. He must become more. And then finally, Jesus said no to embracing power, the power that would come to him from the evil one, to embrace submission to the will of his Father. Let me just read this quote from, uh, i got to find it here now, this quote from Henry Nouwen. I, I've lived with this quote for years and years and years. Again, I think it was more than 30 years ago I read this book. And I just keep coming back to this summary of what he says about this life of saying no, saying no to always needing to be relevant, no to always needing to be spectacular, no to always needing to hold on to the power. He says this, Beneath all the great accomplishments of our time, 
there is a deep current of despair. While efficiency and control are the great aspirations of, of our society, and mind you, this is more than 30 years ago now, and these words ring all the more true, I think, today. Our society, the aspirations of our society, the loneliness, isolation, lack of friendship and intimacy, broken relationships, boredom, feelings of emptiness and desperation, and deep sense of uselessness fill the hearts of millions of people in our success-oriented world. It is here that the need for a new Christian leadership becomes clear. The leader of the future, and I just want to say this, this is for all people who follow Christ and are called to lead the way in his mission, which all of us are called to. The leader of the future will be one who dares to claim his irrelevance in the contemporary world as a divine vocation that allows him or her to enter into a deeper solidarity with the anguish underlying all the glitter of success and bring the light of Jesus there. Which leads us to our final no. The interesting thing about Jesus is that his life and ministry were then filled with no's. And Jesus' no's led to the great disappointment of the people around him. Jesus launches into his ministry by saying no to his cousin John, who wanted to be baptized by him. Jesus disappoints his family when they come to him and they say, Jesus, you're making a fool of yourself. You're acting crazy. And he said no and disappointed them. He said no to the people who wanted to crown him as king and inaugurate a kingdom based on power. And he disappointed them when he said no. He disappointed the disciples when they said, who is going to sit at your right hand? And who is going to sit at your left hand? And he disappointed them by telling them, who are they to think that they would sacrifice to receive those positions? He disappointed Pilate. When Pilate said, open your mouth, give me a reason not to nail you on this cross, not to convict you to this death, he disappointed Herod. When Herod asked him for some sign to wow the crowd and to impress him, he disappointed everybody in his life at some point. He disappointed everybody in his life at some point except the one person who he vowed never to disappoint, never to deny, never to forsake, his Father in heaven. He was willing to endure and disappoint through his nose anybody and everybody in his life so that he would always say yes to his Father and keep his identity focused on him and his mission on calling. And friends, we then become the beneficiary of the greatest no ever uttered in the history of the world. Because it is on that cross when the crowd made one final demand. He saved others. Won't he save himself? You saved others, Jesus. Save yourself, and then we will believe you. And he could have said yes. But he said no. He said no to the crowd, to saving himself, so that he could do the very thing that they were asking. And that is to offer them the salvation that they needed most. Jesus' final no on the cross, leading to his death, leading to his burial, opens up the door for the forgiveness of our sins, and by his resurrection, the final yes of God, and that is life forever with him. Amen, friends? Amen. Use no like a scalpel to cut out everything that seeks to distract you from your identity in Christ and your mission 
in him. And so to wrap this ser- service up here, let's get the band up here. You guys can get ready to take us out. I want us to practice some no's, okay? We're going to practice some of our no's. Last week we started talking about kids. What's the first word that our kids learn, right? It is no, you know? So, I mean, and, and, and now we're going to enter into what, Vember? November. So I want you to summon up here. I want you to summon up like your greatest, your best three-year-old. I mean, just, just now, just picture in your mind's eye, some three-year-old that you know. Think about the last time you heard them defiantly scream no. We're going to practice our nose now, all right? You ready for this? Whenever the world tells you you need to burn the candle at both ends because you are what you do, what are you going to say? No. Oh, that was a good one. That was a really good one. Whenever you look in the mirror and the mirror tells you you don't look good enough, what are you going to say? No, whenever Facebook tells you you don't have enough likes, you're going to say, no, you're fading off on me here. You're supposed to be like building up. Whenever Instagram tells you you're not loved enough, you're going to say, no, whenever somebody wants to make a demand on your life that you aren't willing to give, you're going to say, no, whenever anything or anybody seeks to distract you from your identity in Jesus Christ and you're calling to serve him, you are going to say no. You're going to say no, 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 because it is November, friends. And I know this is what some of you need more than anything else. Some of you have said the great yes to God. You've said, yes, you are my Savior, and I receive your forgiveness. Yes, I will follow you. Yes, I want to go forward in your mission. But the thing that has been holding you back in that mission is your inability to say no from everything else. Because there are a lot of good things. A lot of good things you can do with your time, with your energy, with your days. But if it is not keeping you on track to fulfill your mission and your identity in Jesus Christ, Let it be a no this November. Let me pray for us, friends. Now we're going to worship God. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the great no's of the people of faith who said no to worshiping other gods, no to bowing down to other kings, no to anything that would divide or distract their attention from your mission. And I pray that through these great examples of faith and through the example now of you, our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, that we would learn to use this simple but powerful word, no, like a scalpel, to ruthlessly eliminate anything and everything from our lives that would distract us from our identity in you and our calling in your mission. And I know the details of that can be difficult. And that's why we've talked about this now for the last 30 plus minutes. Because we need to get clarity now on some of the no's that we need to shout out to the world around us. So for every man and woman gathered here, I pray that this November, this coming season of life, the clarity that we have in you would free us to say no everything that would divide or distract us. May we fast from having to say yes to everything. May we fast from having to say yes to any and everybody and every opportunity in our lives. May we take Sabbath rest in you and say no to the work that the world calls us to do so that our life may be found in you. Again, give every man and woman here the power to say no so that their yes to you can be a resounding amen. Pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.